We are thrilled to welcome Reverend Dr. Deborah Mumford to Highlands Pulpit today. Reverend Mumford is originally from North Carolina and attended Howard University in Washington, D.C., where she studied mechanical engineering. But after spending the first part of her career in engineering, she began to sense a call to ministry. In 1994, she answered that call and began seminary at the American Baptist University of the West. While there, she served in a variety of ministry roles as a youth minister, assistant pastor, preacher, and church administrator for several churches in the San Francisco Bay Area, and also as a youth outreach coordinator for the chaplaincy to the homeless in Berkeley, California. Reverend Mumford went on to earn a Master of Arts in Biblical Languages and a Ph.D. in Homiletics and New Testament. She currently serves as the Dean at the Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And since 2008, she has also served as a mentor for the Louisville Youth Group, a grassroots organization that provides resources and a safe space for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and questioning young people in our community. Reverend Mumford, we are grateful for your ministry among us here in Louisville, and we welcome you to Highland today. Good morning. It is a pleasure for me to be here to share with you on this Pride Sunday. This is a great Sunday, a Pride weekend in Louisville, Kentucky. And I am uh, most ecstatic for seeing all of you. I know during a pandemic, it's been hard on people not being able to get together to worship. But here we are. And uh, it is really good to see you. Uh, I thank your pastor, Pastor Mary Alice Birdwhistle, for the invitation to come and share with you uh, this morning. I am uh, always glad to see my friend Lauren Mayfield. She's, uh, we've been uh, friends for a while, kind of going way back. And uh, it's always good to, to see her as well. And we have two interns serving uh, at this church with you. We are proud of Aaron and Lillian for the work they are doing. So, and thank you to Highland for hosting our students here. So as we prepare for the message, let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we give you praise and thanks for this Pride Sunday, for allowing us to be in this place, and we ask that you would be in our midst and open our hearts and minds to be receptive to the word you have in store for us. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, psalms are spiritual songs that were sung in the context of community worship in ancient Israel. And they take many different forms. There are psalms of lament and complaint. There are psalms of thanksgiving and wisdom discourse. And some psalms are hymns. Now, this particular psalm has challenged scholars for a long time. They were trying to figure out where exactly it fit in all these different genres assigned to psalms. It doesn't fit neatly in any of these categories. 
Uh, one scholar who spent a lot of his life wrestling with the content of this particular psalm categorizes it as a psalm of meditation. Within this psalm of meditation, a story is unfolding. This particular psalm was performed by a psalmist that many scholars believed was accused of sinful actions. Perhaps accused of the sin of idolatry, worshiping a God other than Yahweh. And the psalmist is therefore subjecting themselves to divine examination. This psalmist wants to be exonerated of these charges. And indeed, this psalmist believes that it is only God who should be the judge of whether they are guilty or not. What has been read in the first 14 verses of the psalm is the part of the psalmist's experience of being intimately examined by their God. Now in the first five verses, we read about the psalmist's perceptions of their divine uh, examination. They are convinced, you see, that God knows all of their ways all of their ways. <laughs> Does that make give you comfort? I'm just kind of wondering all of your ways. See, they, they say that, 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 that God understood when they sat down and when they rose up, every thought that they considered or processed, God knew it before they even thought it. Every word that they say, God knew it before they said it. During this examination, God holds them in what we can describe as a divine vice, hemmed in behind and before, and God lays God's hands upon them. The thorough knowledge of God, of who the psalmist is, is almost too much for the psalmist to bear. It's overwhelming, it's beyond their comprehension, and indeed the experience is so intense that the psalmist tries to flee from the presence of God. I don't know if anybody here has ever tried to run from God. It doesn't work too well. As the psalmist was fleeing, they only fled to realize there was absolutely nowhere they could go where God is not. If they go to heaven, God is there. If they go to Sheol, God is there. If they take the wings of the morning and settle in the farthest limits of the sea, God is there too. Now, on this, in the third section of the psalm, the psalmist recognizes their own divine worth. And uh, we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. On this Pride Weekend, on which we celebrate the dignity, equality, and self-affirmation of LGBTQIA people everywhere, uh, this psalm is particularly important and relevant. Throughout Christian history, same gender-loving people have been demonized and ostracized. Some of the responsibility for Christian views on the subject can be laid at the feet of our friend, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we know Paul, don't we? 
He's a favorite of ours, indeed. 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1, and in both of these, Paul condemns same-sex acts. The foundation of Paul's objection came from concern of, uh, of his Hebrew ancestors about procreation. The tribes of Israel wanted to make sure they did not become extinct, so they outlawed any sex acts that did not lead to procreation. Christian tradition is also influenced by another of the church fathers, Augustine. Augustine operated with the understanding of mind-body dualism, an either-or kind of thinking. You see, Augustine believed that the original sin of Adam and Eve is passed down from generation to generation through sexual intercourse. And only through marriage can the goodness of sexual intercourse be redeemed. Sexual organs for Augustine were evil, just evil, because lust is more powerful than reason. And as a result, in Augustine's mind, sex is only acceptable in marriage. Therefore, same-sex acts are sinful. However, over the centuries, Christian tradition began to not just view same-sex acts as sin, they also began to view the people committing those same-sex acts as sin personified. Using texts such as Leviticus 20.13 that declared sex acts at these same-sex acts as abominations punishable by death, it was not a far leap for people to begin to declare the perpetrators of such same-sex acts as so-called abominations themselves. Theologian Patrick Chang contends that it's one thing for people to be ostracized and marginalized for committing sin, but it's a whole other thing for people to be marginalized and ostracized for being a sin. You see, because if you are a sin, then God does not love you. If you are a sin, then the people of God must turn their backs on you. If you are a sin, nothing good can possibly come from your existence. If you are a sin, you can't even love yourself. This is where this psalm of meditation serves a liberating purpose. LGBTQIA folk around the world can follow the lead of the psalmist when we are accused of being sinful, when we are accused of actually being a manifestation of sin itself simply because of the people we love or simply because of our refusal to conform to societal norms, we can just let others know that we have subjected ourselves to divine examination. And we have determined, you see, despite the teachings of Paul and despite the dualism of Augustine, uh, who had their own agendas, by the way, and despite the hateful rhetoric that continues to be spouted by the unenlightened, despite the discrimination and injustices to which we are still subjected, we are children of God, created by God. And God knows all of our ways. You see, God knows our tomboy ways. 
our effeminate ways, our butch ways, our gender-bending ways. God knows our queen-performing ways and our king-performing ways. You see, God knows all of those ways, ways I haven't even mentioned yet, you see? God knows all of our ways. So how do we know that God knows all of our ways? Because it was God who formed our inward parts. God created us just the way we are. We are not mistakes. We are not inherently sinful. We are divine creations created in God's image. And it took me years to believe about myself what I just said to you. I am a missionary Baptist preacher's kid from Eastern North Carolina. Trust me, it is not the gay capital of the world. (laughs) My parents have a very conservative theology. Being gay and or gender nonconforming is unbiblical and therefore unacceptable in their eyes. Growing up, I secretly had crushes on girls, cute girls, I must say. But because I knew that was not acceptable, I tried for most of my life to conform. And I was well into my 30s before I came all the way out of the closet. And I came out because I met someone I couldn't stay in the closet for. I came out because of my partner, Africa, and she was unlike anyone I had ever met. And I wanted to be all in for her and with her, which means I had to come all the way out of that closet. You see, the closet is where I lived. When I was trying to conform to socially constructed norms of gender and sexuality, or at least appear to, The closet is where I lived when I was trying really hard not to be me, but a facsimile of me, an ideal of me, an ideal of which the world approved. The closet is where I preserved my public image and my public life, all for the sake of being accepted and loved, all for the sake of not being ridiculed and rejected, all for the sake of conforming to social norms. But there was a trade-off. In that closet, I could not truly be me. I could not fully share with others who I was, who I am, likes and dislikes, quirks and foibles, for fear of revealing aspects of myself of which others would not approve. The closet was a dark and a lonely place, a place where I could not fully exhale a place where I was constantly concerned about being discovered, constantly checking myself so as not to talk about things that heterosexual people just take for granted. Like uh, what they and their beloved did over the weekend. Sounds so simple like what they and their spouses had for dinner, like how they and their love interests celebrated Valentine's Day, just regular, ordinary stuff. 
In the closet, I was constantly policing my own happiness so as not to make straight folk uncomfortable. The closet was the place where I was complicit in my own oppression. Somebody here may know a little something about a closet. Now this is when I thank God for theological education, I tell you. And I thought that was a little turn, but go with me. Theological education was my salvation. In seminary, I learned to think critically about biblical text. I could ask questions about the Bible. Any question that I had, I could ask the question. And the world still spun on its axis. You know, one day still follow the next, and it was okay. I read feminist and womanist theologies, and I fell in love with their liberating potential. I was able to free myself from the hateful theologies with which I had grown up that had kept me bound for so, so very long. Now, you don't have to attend seminary to love and accept yourself. You don't have to. If you want to, I I have one in mind for you. (laughs) You just need to know that when you subject yourself to divine examination, like the psalmist, that God already knows all of your ways, all of them. God created you just the way you are. And the good news is, the best news is, are you ready for it? That we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. LGBTQIA folk are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lesbians are fearfully and wonderfully made. Gays are fearfully and wonderfully made. Transgender folk are fearfully and wonderfully made. Bisexual folk are fearfully and wonderfully made. People who are questioning where they belong on the whole spectrum, oh, they're fearfully and wonderfully made. People who are intersex and asexual, oh, they too are fearfully and wonderfully made. People who don't conform to any of this stuff, is just reject it all, are also fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, on this Pride Weekend in Louisville, Kentucky, we can indeed celebrate pride. Pride in our own dignity and worth. Pride in our value to the wider society. Pride in being able to love ourselves for who we are. Pride in rejecting bad theology, pride in rejecting potentially debilitating biblical interpretations, pride in continuing to stand when so many forces try to pull us down, pride in raising our voices despite all the efforts to silence us, and pride in the full knowledge of our godly affirmation. Pride, I say. Pride that LGBTQIA folk are created by God in the image of God and are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thanks be to God.